Hello and welcome to the show, Spamming Zero. I'm one of your hosts, James Gilbert. We're excited because this month's sponsor is brought to you by C-Experts. If you need help with your digital experiences, especially when it comes to the customer experience overall and the strategies there, reach out to cxperts.io. They're an incredible team and incredible people that work there. They believe in three pillars of customer experience, CX Insights, better understand how your users interact with your brand online, CX optimization, make improvements for your customers and your business goals, and then CX launch, empower your team to make CX a part of your toolkit for success. They are the experts when it comes to customer experience, and they would love to work with you. Again, cxperts.io. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spamming Zero. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Spamming Zero. We are joined by Hassam Hassan. Welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. We have been engaged with Hassam on LinkedIn for a while now. We didn't even know it, but we were just like naturally engaging with each other's content, all three of us. We loved your stuff. You were loving our stuff. So we're like, you know, we, got, we really got to get him on the show. So let's, this is where we're at. Tell the listeners a little bit about your background. Yeah, thanks, James. And uh, thanks for having me on, guys. So currently, I'm doing a couple of things. So my full-time job is at a company called Ultimate. And uh, they do something a little bit similar to what Flip does. But we're more on the email and chat side. So AI-powered, auto-responses to customers, uh, but in the text world. Prior to that, I was a Zenness Consulting running Support Ops, a small consulting agency. And that was recently acquired by Partner Hero. Um, which is also a big company in the CX space. I'm curious, you have like some predictions for us that we talked about. What's your prediction for customer support teams moving forward? I've been in customer support for for over a decade and uh, maybe like the last year we've seen some like crazy changes happening, right? The most rapid changes that I've seen, including AI, automation, the changes of the CRM world. So what I'm thinking in like 20. 2023, what we're going to see a lot of is a combination of uh, really good skilled humans, right? So we're not going to we're not going to double down on like having many layer layer one support staff. We're going to level them up to maybe like tech support or, or level two. We're going to see those skilled workers coupled with AI, and a lot of people are calling this like augmented agents now, and having really powerful operations tools on the back end. All the help desk software like Zendesk. Uh, third-party apps that are doing uh, automation, that's all going to come together in, I think, 2023. This is this is such a fun conversation for us to have because sometimes you're just, whatever, engaging with people on social, but I feel like very often the three of us are posting things that are really like speaking to the same sort of vision and point of view. There's almost like two fighting forces going on here. One is like the AI and customer service narrative has been around as long as like customer service has been around, at least in the like digital format it happens now. So it's like that, that just brings skepticism. And then on the other side of the coin, there's everything that's happening with the economy right now. And people are forced to look at these things in a way that they weren't forced maybe 12 months ago, even it, it's kind of like culminating in this, like, okay, like we're all going to get a like litmus test on like, where is this stuff really at right now? Because there's high motivation 
to adopt given the times and like it's like all right like there are a lot of new vendors right now us and you guys included and we are preaching a new wave of technology that can deliver against the dream that's been around forever and now it's like all right like the next 24 months there's gonna be plenty of people that purchase and like what's the outcome gonna be and like how well is it gonna play out yeah no i agree and i I think like prior to even like the the recession right now or the the economy's uh the economy state uh, a lot of people looked at our products as like nice to haves right Mm -hmm. and uh in 2023 we're seeing that it's no longer a nice to have, right? People are understanding that this is a must have uh, if you want to do more with less, which is like the model we hear often these days and they're really getting it. And I think what's throwing the the gas on the fire is chat GPT, right? Like, I don't want to make this episode about that, but it's kind of unlocked. <laughs> yeah, that kind of like unlocked the, uh, the, the imagination of a lot of these customer support managers, customer support teams. And they're like, oh, now I really get what flip does what ultimate does what are the, the other vendors too right because it's something that they could play with really quickly understand the concept and then be able to translate translate that in their day-to-day workflows we've always heard this saying so many times in all of our lives of meet your customers where they are and in the channels that they prefer and we've been hearing that forever meet them in their preference channel and 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 so many things but there's i think there is also going to be like, I guess you could call this like my little 2023, 2024 prediction. Yeah. I think you're going to see more (laughs) brands invest in more channels to meet their customers. Here's why one, they can't afford to not be in the channels that their customers are not in. And number two, if you're anything like me, which you all are, because you buy products and you buy services and you need support for them. Um, so if you're anything like me and you buy those things, then you need the support and the store that I have literally just happened like before this podcast. I was checking our rental car because I'm going to Hawaii. It's going to be really fun. We got a rental car and was checking my reservation, but it wouldn't let me reset my password. So the first thing I did was try to do self-serve and get online, go through chat, look at their stuff and nothing's there. Nothing with FAQs that's going to send me through any different of a loop than I've already gone. So I hit, I type an agent. I wait 45 minutes and I don't get a response through chat. So I see the phone number. I pick up the phone number and finally get an agent, but it was first through an IVR. And then I finally get an agent on the call and they can, they fix my problem like right away. I think it's important for brands to realize like the days of hiding these channels and um, because you don't have the ability to service them are kind of over. Customers are expecting it. Um, and I think that the brands that decide to make the decision, we're not going to have that channel um, or we're not going to serve people in that area. We're going to force them down a certain path are going to see a massive reduction in their revenues from people that are consuming their products. I mean, that takes me back to doing Zenest consulting. I would always tell, uh, I would always tell my clients, like this might be the opposite of what you're saying, but I would tell them like, don't turn on channels that you're not ready to support, right? When you buy a tool or a suite that has all those options, phone, SMS, WhatsApp, Instagram, right? You're, you're, you're thinking like, okay, I have, let's say two, three support people. I could turn on all those channels and we'll be able to help everybody on every channel, but that's, that's not going to happen. Right. Especially with smaller support teams. So you should in like my perspective and what I used to tell them is like master one channel 
get everything in order, get your operations documented, get your process documented. Once you've mastered that one channel, then you could open up automation channels. You could auto, uh, you could open up, you know, social channels. You could, you could start, you know, spreading that message across those different channels, but what they'll do, and this is probably your case is they're like, okay, we want to deliver real time support to, to, you know, James and his family. Let's turn on chat. They turned on chat, but they had nobody to, to, to watch that channel and they ended up dying out there. Right. This, and but this is had- why I think that when you couple it with what, what your prediction is, which is like AI is going to take this thing off. Right. And with what Brian said, I think when you couple it with those other two predictions, that's what I'm saying is going to be really powerful. Right. Because then then brands will have the ability to serve people in channels, even when they don't have necessarily the full scale structure to be able to do it. A good example of this is like, Brian, you know, this we've 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 uh, implemented a phone number for people that have reached out to us and be like, yeah, we we can't really do phone support right now. Um, But why not? Like, turn it on. And we grabbed a phone number for them and literally the only option that they have is to go through our voice AI automation on the phone. And guess what it does? It gives those customers though, the ability to go to that channel. And I think that more and more with the revolution of AI, I think we're going to see more brands being asked to do those kinds of things. The other overarching layer here is there's been this is customer service, is customer experience a profit center or a cost center sort of thing that's played out going back in the contact center forever. And the economic times right now are really forcing companies to like, in literal terms, put their money where their mouth is, right? Because it's one of the highest spend areas in any organization. It is not in 99% of cases directly attributable to new revenue. And for all of those reasons, like it's a classic cut area. But then at the same time, on the other side of the coin, you have all of these brands that are like right in the public spotlight right now, especially when you talk about like the D2C and consumer world, but really everywhere right now. And they're talking about like what the path forward is for their business and the word that you see pop up again and again, like read the investor things that the public companies do, like everything. They always use the word brand, right? And like brand is going to differentiate us going forward. And then you just work backwards from brand and you say, okay, well, like if brand is the sum of every interaction, then interactions are the conversations that are happening. And that directly goes to the customer experience. And it's like, do you really believe that brand is the path forward and that customer experience is the building block of brand? Or do you really believe that it's all about just getting credit card swipes and running away and keeping everything after the first purchase, like as cheap and as minimal as possible. And right. It's like people have been looking at this and asking this question forever. And it's like, now they need, now they they need to decide like, okay, you need to cut budget. Like where are you cutting budget? Okay. You need to focus priorities. Where are you focusing priorities? And I almost think that there's going to be a divergence that happens, right? If right now things are mostly consolidated around the middle and like everybody's kind of the same, I kind of think that you're going to see the data points move to the extreme and you're going to see a a lot of companies that like really lean in and really thrive. And then you're going to see an equal amount of companies where like it falls off the rails. Like if it's underwhelming right now, it's going to be laughably bad 
in 12 months. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know if this is like, would be like a third path, but I, I like to think of customer support as a feature to your product and not necessarily a department. Traditionally, we look at them as uh, like that. customer support agents. They're, you know, humans doing a specific task after you've sold your product or you, your customers are failing with your product. I look at customer support as a feature of your product. So at first, developing a feature is going to cost you money, right? Any feature that you dump engineering resources or any resource in general, it's going to cost you money. That's why we go get VC money. But after you've developed that feature, you could expect it in the long run to attribute to, to, to the profit of your company in the form of reducing churn, for example, for customer support. Or if you, uh, you're able to train them in some sales aspect where they could do upgrade. When I was a support agent, I would always try to do upgrades uh, because I know customers are maybe on the wrong plan and they're not happy with the product. So getting them on the right plan is, is crucial and that will make you most of the time more money, right? Unless it's a downgrade. So invest first and then eventually you'll stop your losses, reduce your losses, or actually start making money from that feature, which I, which I say is, is customer support. So one of my favorite predictions moving into this new year was a gentleman by, I, you guys should know this, this gentleman, his name is Jay Bayer. You know, Jay? Talks a lot about you said, I, you said I should, so now I can't. I can't say I don't. <laughs> he talks a lot about brand experience. He's written a lot of books. You would know him if you like saw his face. You'd be like, oh yeah, I know him, right? He's the owner of Convince and Convert, and he really boils down the future of customer support into three bullet points. Number one, self service. Number two, community based service. Number three, predictive to predictive support. We've talked a little bit about self service, having the ability to go out and do that yourself. We haven't talked about community-based service, and I wanna hit on this for just a second, because I think it's important, and I think you could provide a lot of insight here. There's two brands that I think about that did this really early on, and they're actually kind of both in the same space. So they're not in D2C, so I'll just like talk about them as a software company, but Salesforce did this really, really well. They basically developed an entire community of developers to help figure out how clunky their system was. <laughs> and then they said, okay, developers, go teach everybody how to do this. And what did they do? They built a massive following and that pigeoned their brand to do some of the stuff that they do for like Dreamforce, their certification programs. It built all of that and it was all community driven. Another brand that I think about that did this quite well was early on HubSpot did this really well. They built a lot of self-serve content teaching marketers that even were not part of HubSpot's community how to do marketing. So they built it first, value-led content. They removed their phone number for a very, very long time. HubSpot used to not have a phone number. And the reason why they did that is because they wanted the community to answer their questions. So in order to, for you to get a support question that needed a, like it was complex, um, they would have you submitted into the community. The community would vote on it. People would talk to you about it. Different HubSpot admins would come in and talk about it. And I oftentimes wonder why more brands are not building this community-based service where they're putting customers together and they're building that community so that they can help each other. Because ultimately, somebody has probably figured out the problem that you're having, you know? Yeah, I think a couple of things here. Uh, I To answer your last question, I think companies don't encourage this or invest in it early on 
because they want to control the entire onboarding life cycle for their end user, right? So if they say, here's the product, we'll let a random person onboard you or teach you how to use it, there's probably a higher chance of failure there if you have a complex product. So I think HubSpot and Salesforce definitely took a chance, but they they understood early on that like educating power users um, and giving people like certifications is going to be their key to growing because you can't you can't continuously grow your customer success team, right? Not You're not going to handhold every single customer if you want to reach the scale that 100%. they're at. So, so they thought of that early on and said, okay, we're going to take the risk. And I do think it's a risk, right? Putting that support within the community's uh, power. But when the risk, when, when the risk is actually, um, when you take the risk and it's the outcomes are great, then it's like massive because look where Salesforce and HubSpot are at. So yeah, I, I think the the startups of the world um, that don't take that risk really just want to control the onboarding experience and are afraid of a failure. Yeah, like a direct-to-consumer brand might not be able to do their support necessarily through community-led. I mean, they certainly could still do community-led brand, right? And building a community that helps amplify their brand um, where then they can discover new things about like, products they can discover influencers through those communities i mean i think the possibilities are endless and, and I, I am brian knows i am on this big community kick right now because i've helped build communities they're really hard they're tough to do um, but i also just finished reading that book right there and it's amazing highly recommend it and i just i think it's some of the future of brand really do shout out to our partner chat desk i mean they are a solution provider that you can tap into and their whole model is we are going to recruit the super fans of the brand to at least in social channels be an extension of it and handle support and community engagement there so it is kind of taking taking some of that Jose, i'm curious how many people are you talking to now right cx and support leaders that have genuinely found and are focused on like directly attributable revenue generating activities and plays that their teams are doing? I think right now, because of the the economy and everything in the news, a lot of people, and we see it all over the place, like there's layoffs happening all over the place. Nobody's really thinking about making more as much as just saving what they have. So I wouldn't say I'm talking to many people that are in that proactive state right now. I think a lot of people are just in reactive and, and adjusting. And also I'm, I'm in more in the SaaS world. So not really big transaction, transa- transactional businesses like, uh, like e-commerce, for example, and retail. I, I bring it up because there are a couple of customers of ours that I would say like forever have kind of been very confident in in what they're doing and felt that they were at the cutting edge and they were innovative. But especially now, those people and those leaders are like walking around with their chest out and with like a little bit more moxie in their step and a little bit more confidence in what they're doing and a little bit less of the retreat and recede and keep it as cheap as possible and hope that my budget is not the next one that gets cut. And like the, what is the theme that is putting people in one bucket versus the other? Like for me, what I've noticed is the people that can directly attribute revenue. And you're right. Like we're mostly, we're, right, we're 
doing entirely B2C businesses. So the ways of achieving that are different and probably in some ways more measurable, but it's it's definitely like a a clear kind of split again that has that has happened. And then it's been cool, right? Talking about community for us to start to like be the people that are connecting the dots for our customers and right using our microphone in this case as a mechanism to like get those people's stories out and into the hands of other people that are in similar companies that could run similar plays right like think about anything that any business is doing right there's a lot to learn from other companies at a similar stage doing a similar thing so i think that's been cool are, are you seeing like any trends as far as like the type of uh, products they sell or the amount of revenue that they're making a year? Are there any patterns that you're noticing it or, or they're just random companies that are just well prepared? And now that now they're kind of like you said, putting their chest out and, and saying like, yeah, we were prepared. So we're good. We're good at this point. Great question. A lot of like mid-market, right? Where like later stage startup where they're at some level of maturity like that kind of seems to be the stage. And then the other theme that they have is like, they have executive leadership that set the expectation at the get when they started the company, when they stood up the department, that CX was going to be a direct revenue driver. So that that's kind of the other layer. But here's the thing, Brian, you know this, because like we're seeing this all over the place, whether you're in B2B or B2C, we're seeing the shift happen where... CX and retention is a primary business focus, even for um, like investors and and board members more than ever, actually, in the history of time right now, we're seeing that. But that's still talking about, right? That's talking about CX as a form of retention, which to me at a human level, that's very obvious. It makes perfect sense at a like right? Think about like attribution software sort of deal, like very hard to measure A's impact on B. What I'm talking about is like literally generating new sales, new purchases. That's that's what I'm talking about. Like legitimately, I know CMOs right now that were asked by their board to cut all of their marketing budget, all their growth marketing budget, and to focus 100% on customers and what they can do to amplify current customers into net new sales. Now, I'm not talking about upsell, cross-sells, because that's like more like, you know, the customer success side of the house. I'm talking about leveraging their customers as the amplification of growth. I think it's happening more than it ever has in the history of time right now in business. So you're saying lean into the existing community of super fans in order to have them spread the word, generate affinity and drive net new business through the door. I think there's some of that for sure. There's definitely a community play there. I don't know. I just find it really fascinating. This evolution that we're in right now. It's, it's wild. Yeah. it really has been a jump from extreme to extreme. When I was in, in the trenches doing like support tickets, like support people were not talking to product. They weren't talking to engineering. They weren't talking to marketing. And now there's like real, they're considered a real department and they're talking to these other departments sharing data. And, and I love seeing that. And for a lot of businesses, um, like you said, James, like that moves the needle for them, right? Like you don't need to have all of your money going to one department, which is sales or marketing or, or product or engineering. If you spread it across the departments, you could see support departments, for example, shine and they could bring you a, a brand new take. Um, and they're the ones talking to your customer, right? A lot of times 
your customer, their, their end user will never talk to anybody at their company until they talk to a customer support agent. That's the very first human contact. Um, so you got to expect that those people have some good insight there. Insane amount of insight. For real, I mean, like it's like a this treasure trove of data that's just totally untapped. Um, and we've talked about this several times on many other episodes. I gotta like, I want to shift gears here for a second. Wait, I want to go one more. I want to go one more layer there, and then we can shift gears. You got so it. I'm curious, right? So when you talk about the insights that come out of the support department as automation technology starts to spread one of the very obvious things that it can do or as ai spreads like one of the obvious things it can do is be a way of extracting aggregating and distributing those insights and there's sort of right there are vendors out there right so i guess where this question is going is i'm curious how you think that the 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 like tech and the vendor landscape around these ai tools is going to evolve over right as it kind of enters this next stage of maturity you see a lot right now of right within automation specifically there's channel specific there is industry specific there is like size and geo like those sort of classic things going on but then you also see this divide of right this is ai that is actually going to automate the conversation this is AI that is just going to do the analytics, right? And like in analytics, I would put tagging and like that sort of stuff, like automated tagging. Um, yeah. And then there's also the like agent assist sort of analytics and like sort of AI. And those are really like three, it can, right? If you go into the long tail, there are even more applications that people are using, right? Like there's the crazy company that raised money recently doing automated language and like accent translation, oh, yeah, uh, I saw that. which is wild, right? Just as an application of AI, but I'm curious, right? Do you see more of these things coming under one roof? Do you see more integration of these different tools and people leaning into best of breed? Like how do you see, I guess, like the AI layer of the CX stack evolving? Yeah, those are, those are all like great points. Um, it's something that we've, we've actually been chatting a lot about uh, this week at Ultimate. So I've been trying to like remove the term AI from my vocabulary just this week, right? So I could look at like I'm what's happening that. underneath, right? So it's right now it's a buzzword, even though there's like super powerful technology behind it, right? So I'm just looking at each one of these pieces. And like you said, there's a conversational piece, right? Which they're calling conversational AI, but there's so many other types of automations or what I've been calling bots this week, bots doing different tasks for the support agent that they normally don't have to do. So first thing we think about when we say AI, you think of a chat bot, right? It's going to have a conversation, but when it's, when a ticket comes into an agent, they have to one first analyze the ticket, right? Route it to the right place, tag it, eventually send a response, then pull information from other systems to help them solve that, that request. Once they've solved that request, send the CSAT. Once the CSAT goes out, you have to pull analytics. You have to take those reports, push it to different teams. So the conversation itself is actually a very small piece of the entire ticket, right? So we have to look at them as individual pieces. And I think companies that are going to focus on one or a few of these will be really successful. And we see it all the time in industries, companies that try to do everything and try to be all in one sometimes are really successful, but most of the times they don't, they don't make it. So focusing on specific industries, right? So we're doing right now, customer support automation for Zendesk and Salesforce, very specific and mostly in the enterprise world. So very specific to what we handle and we're doing conversational AI, that's our strength, but we're also doing integration to other 
tools specifically in your customer support tech stack. So we're not going into sales. We're not going into marketing. We're not trying to be everything for everyone. We're trying to be very specific. And I think we're going to see a lot of that. Like I think there's like 10 new AI apps popping up every day, especially the last couple of weeks, right? So we're going to see very like very small apps doing very specific tasks. I agree with that 100%. I love how you jump to winning in specific industries on specific tech stacks for specific use cases. That's the same way that I kind of see Here's the thing that I will say though, coming from a function that wanted tons of tech to help it be more efficient and automate it, meaning marketing. And now seeing the landscape of how much tech is out there and the problem that it's causing now, 20 years after the fact, we see technology grow and grow and grow and grow. So I guess this is my warning for DDC brands that are investing in AI, which I think they should. There's no question about that. But my warning is this. Don't just invest in a niche solution like we're talking about if it doesn't have a long-term roadmap to integrate with all the other stuff that you're doing. Because then what you're going to be doing is what all these big brands did with tech. And they brought on a niche solution for a very specific problem. And then they were stuck with it. And then the data became a bigger problem because then they couldn't access it. And so that's like my warning a little bit with some of this stuff is I think that there are going to be a massive amount of companies that can leverage all these apps for the very reasons that you just mentioned. And I think that it would be massively beneficial to do that. But I also think that they they really have to think through not making the mistake that really businesses made with marketing. And now there's so much tech out there that you almost can't do your job without six tools doing it. And it's become such a problem that now marketers have to hire RevOps to run their business. <laughs> That's the beauty of software vendors going to market in a ecosystem-led way, right? Agreed. Like, right, Hosam instantly jumped to, right, you jumped to the example of Ultimate and Ultimate's go to market. And the first thing that you said is, Zendesk brands and Salesforce brands. So to me, it's almost like, right, people, again, go to the extremes. It's like, we're going to do best of breed everything. We're going to have a thousand tools or we're going to try and get one tool that does everything. I think that the middle ground there is the tech stack. And it's the, there are 500, 10,000 companies that are just like you in your industry, near your size band. And this is what their CX stack looks like. All five of these tools are integrated with each other. The companies have relationships with each other. And that combination is going to, right, it's going to play well together. You're going to have the interoperability that you need. You're not going to have the silos. And you're going to get the benefits of all of those vendors not trying to do everything. So I kind of like that picture of the future. I want to touch on what James is talking about, um, like the overload of tech, right? We see that, I think, not only in marketing, it's everywhere. And that's like one of the original reasons I started Zenness Consulting and, and getting into that support operation space is because every company I worked for, that would happen, right? Like we would try Zenness for two months, sucks. Try Intercom for two months, sucks. Try Salesforce for two months, sucks. All the tools were great. And I think all the tools are actually the same, right? Like they all essentially do the same thing. It's about how it's implemented and knowing what features you need and don't need, right? So having a great procurement person on your team and a great operations person that's going to tell you yes and no and 
and actually maybe hire the expert that's going to set it up or set it up themselves is going to make the difference for you in tools because you could go buy the most expensive thing and marketing has the most expensive tools and completely fail and think that the tools is terrible, but that's not the case. Uh, if you're, if you're doing your due diligence when it comes to procuring and configuring and then to, uh, Brian's take there, you kind of have two tools out there. You have platforms, which I would call like the bigger CRMs, right? And then you have the tools that plug into it. So I think you could have a couple of niche products, uh, James that plug into, but you can't, have multiple platforms trying to do the same thing. Like I've worked with customer support teams that are using three CRMs just for help desk. And it blows my mind. Uh, <laughs> you have to simplify, right? And keep, have that. one platform and then plug in the apps that you need that are going to enhance that platform. That's a great distinction to draw. Totally Cause it's agree. so different. It's so different if you're using three different help desks with like one plugin totaling four tools versus if you're using one help desk CRM, whatever, with 10 tools plugged into it. Like the one that has 11 tools total is actually running a cleaner operation than the person that's got four. Yeah. It's, it's just like it's our cell phones, decision. right? One device, one platform, one iOS or one Android device. And you have all the apps that do many tasks for you. You still need all of them. Uh, nobody's going to come up with one app that does everything, but your platform is solid and it allows you to, to switch um, apps plug in apps, remove apps as you please. And they shouldn't be that expensive, those add-ons. True story. Me and my wife, a little while ago, we wanted to switch from a smartphone back to a flip phone just because we like, we're so sick of all the noise. I have those phases all the time. Here's what's crazy is we legit tried it. We went and like turned in our phones and we got a flip phone. And man, you just do not realize how much stuff you do on your phone. Like, our finances were on there, how I logged into my bank. Like it's wild. And so we ended up taking the flip phones back and bringing back the smartphone just for that reason. And I think that we're headed to that. Like there's so much technology that these things are going to be just second nature to people. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, if I didn't have it, what would happen? Right. right. I think brands that are investing early on in AI are going to see are going to be the like biggest people talking about that. Like if we didn't have AI, this is what it would be like. Question for you, James. Did you when you went back to your smartphone, did you cut out any apps oh, yeah. or did you continue to use it? Yeah, totally. Sorry, did. We just don't like a lot of like we don't do a ton of social media. I mean, I kind of have to for my job. But if I didn't yeah. if I wasn't doing marketing, <laughs> I wouldn't have any social media apps like yeah. zip. <laughs> and, then, and that's and that's what happens like so you were at the extreme and i did the same thing i was i had an iphone i had a thousand apps right super unorganized and i felt all that noise and i was like the phone is the problem let me downsize and i did the same thing i got a little nokia it wasn't a flip it was a it was a called candy bar style phone right used that for a little while and i was like wait there needs to be a, a healthy medium right a, a healthy a healthy middle so i got an android phone and only put the apps that i actually used and that helped me like pare down a bit so you don't have to be on either extreme. I think companies need to find that middle and say, yes, we do need good tools. We, we can't go only using one tool, but we also don't need a thousand tools that are improperly configured. We need to find the middle, great tools that work, uh, that fit our budget. I really love your analogy of the phone. It's actually really well done. Uh, that's well, really now, it's not, now it's documented. So if you guys use it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know where it came from. So... We like the folks that come on our podcast to be also seen as human beings. Like you shop and buy and you do all those things just like all of us. So throw the consulting hat away for a little bit. 
Right. Um, pretend like you didn't know Zendesk and you don't know any of the other vendors. Pretend like you don't know what AI is. What is something that drives you wild when it comes to your own customer service and support stories? There's a there's a lot that drives me drives me crazy. Hit on them. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't like runarounds. Right. Like if you don't know, tell me you don't know. In any in any aspect of life, I respect that more than you passing me around and and giving me like fluff answers. If you don't know, just go find the answer. Tell me you don't know the answer. I'll go look for some for it somewhere else. I hate having channels open that that don't actually exist, right? So if I level them up to maybe like tech support or or level two, I'm calling an airline, and this happened to me last year. The airline is based in another country. It's very difficult for me to call them in the first place, but. I end up calling them, I wait on hold and there's actually no US department, right? It tells you like, oh, if you want support in English, press whatever number and then you just stay on hold. But there's actually no US department, nobody that handles US phone calls. So you just end up in this loop. Then you go through email. So hopping around different channels or or going to channels that don't exist. I'm pretty patient. So I would say I don't mind staying on hold. That doesn't kill me. It's just eventually when I do speak to somebody, it should be like an efficient phone call. Because I understand people might be short-staffed or whatever the case may be. They might not have Flip implemented yet, right? <laughs> and I think working in service industry uh, gives me a little bit of that patience to, to wait for others. But yeah, I think it's the, just like the basic, most common things, right? Like wrong answers and, and just going to the wrong place for the answer. What's your favorite brand to shop at? What brands do I... I'm not like a huge shopper. What brands do I love shopping at? I love going to... I'm a person that goes to the same coffee shop every day, the same place that to eat for lunch every day. I like places where I have like good interactions and the, the stuff doesn't even have to be that great. And I say this all the time and you probably see it on LinkedIn. I think companies that have subpar products, but excellent support are way better than companies that have great products and terrible support or uh, terrible onboarding, right? Like I'll go to the mediocre coffee shop down the road a hundred times because they're like, oh, hey, it's Hassan. We know exactly what you want. You go in, you get what you want. Sometimes you get a freebie. And it just feels good, right? You're getting like an entire experience uh, as opposed to going to a really expensive coffee shop that has amazing hype, which usually has a crazy line. And my experience is terrible because I got to wait 10 minutes for everybody to take their Instagram photos of the coffee and their croissant and all of that. Um, so by the time I'm drinking my coffee, I'm not even really that happy. So uh, I love that. Yeah. Companies sell their brand, their product and their experience. Yeah. And it is, it is genuinely and that's, both And of that's them. why I say like support is a feature. Right, like it's baked into your product. They're buying the whole thing, so it's an it's an I would say it's an average of the the onboarding, the product itself, and the support. That's what your that's what your complete product is. What really grinds my gears is when you go to the place where you're expecting the loyalty treatment, and you're in a lot of ways going for the experience, and then you get treated like dirt. I not that long ago got I feel confidently saying absolutely unnecessarily kicked out of my favorite neighborhood bar for absolutely no reason by somebody that I've known for years now. And that stabbed a hole in my heart and I refused to go there for a while. I've I've earned more than that. (laughs) I don't know how much of of that I believe as far as the getting kicked off from the league. And so he did did nothing. He didn't deserve it. In most bars, you got to get kicked out for something, right? But if a a bar that you're loyal to, for you to get kicked out, you got to do a lot. 
<laughs> we don't need to go any deeper yeah. on this story. <laughs> um, I, I do. I did want to like. Uh, I thought you guys were going to ask me this in the beginning, but like uh, we didn't. We didn't talk about it much. And now that we're talking about brand and, and loyalty and experiences, for anybody that's watching this, this is like the first time that I'm meeting Brian and James on a call. Right? It's been LinkedIn interactions. And the reason I gravitate towards you guys is I feel like a familiarity on LinkedIn. Like when I first saw you, Brian, I think this is before James even started. I was like, all right, this guy is like wearing a gold chain in his videos, talking about AI. I love the New York swag, right? Because I'm in Jersey. So like, I was like, yo, I, I could connect with this person, right? Like you're funny. You're talking about things in a way that like resonates with me and how, kind of how I grew up and the people I grew up around. So it gave me that familiarity. And I was like, let me interact with this guy. Like the posts are cool. He's talking about the same stuff in a different way. And before you jumped on the, the call earlier, Brian, I was telling James, like you guys are just cool and doing things differently. And I really like that. It's not like the same cookie cutter marketing out there. It's not the same cookie cutter message or trying to be what every company is trying to be. You guys are doing your own thing, which is really cool. And that's why whenever I could promote you or even recommend you, I know your product's great, but uh, I know the experience that comes with it is is super important for me, and I hope it's it's as important for the people that you guys deal with every day. So I wanted to put that in the intro, but uh, but I'm glad we're talking about brand here and loyalty because I think it makes I think it makes the most sense to bring it up. Well, we appreciate the shout out. We uh, when Brian hired me in our interviewing process, I think one of the things he's told me that stood out is I have always preached how the only way to do marketing really, really well. Number one, there's no marketing leader out there or marketing person out there that really knows what they're doing. Marketing is testing. It's 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 throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and then repeating it. And so one of the things that Brian and I talked about in our interview was because it's testing, why not test in a creative way and an unconventional way? Otherwise, you're just testing the same stuff type of stuff that's already being tested out there. So in my opinion, like you're much quicker to find what's going to work and what's going to resonate with people when you stand out and when you do something that's different. I think I mentioned this a little bit at the start, but it, it was the same kind of experience for us. And it speaks to part of the good that's on LinkedIn, right? Like how else would we have connected, right? Both of us were kind of active, saw some of the things you were doing. I think at some point along the way, did a poll or something about phones and you DM me and you were like, I promise this isn't a personal attack. Right. <laughs> and I was like, no, I love it. I was like, I love it. Yeah. And I, and I don't know what it was before that, but I also DM'd you like kudos to the team. Like I love everything you guys are doing. Right. Yeah. It was, it was me knocking phone support. We could, we could do a whole episode on that, but, uh, but you, you see like you, you guys have converted me and, and I've been in support and forever. Right. But it was just my personal experiences on both ends of being a customer support agent and hating uh, phone support and being on the customer side and also hating phone support, right? But then mm -hmm. learning about this AI revolution just in this like last six months, I'm like, okay, if you apply that technology to, to that channel, it does make total sense. So uh, this is why so, yeah, we asked that last things. question to get a little <laughs> bit personal with you because right. there is not a single person that I know at this particular moment that enjoys picking up the phone and calling support. And we make a promise we are going to change that for people forever he All goes right, to the I'll, deep I'll voice on exit I'll, I'll and I'll now the outro music starts Boom. <laughs> <laughs> we are though we're really going to change it we're going to blow people's minds flip yeah we, we are just getting started can't wait 
see you guys in twelve. Tw- I'll see you guys in twelve months, and uh, I want to I want to redo this do this podcast. Yeah, Hell yeah. Hear the results. Hassan, you've been awesome. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you for listening to our podcast each and every week. You can find us same place, same time. We will always be here. Um, every week we have a new guest come on in the DDC world. If you have somebody that wants to be on the podcast or a topic that you want us to talk about, reach out to Brian or I. We'd love to have you on or we'd love to talk about something that is relevant to you. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so and give us a like and rating and we'd love that. Thank you.